Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Firm. Today, you have myself, Naft Agent Z. And today's episode, we interviewed the founder of SingLife, Mr. Walter D. Ode. And in that today's episode, we asked him about his journey in building SingLife and a little bit about his more recent entrepreneurial ventures. Um, hope you guys enjoy. Well, hi, guys. Um, my name is Walter Ode. I was the uh, founder of Singapore Life. I uh, started that business in uh, 2013 after having left a job at HSBC as the CEO of HSBC. Uh, prior to that, I worked as an actuary for for uh, companies like uh, Watson Wyatt and Swiss Re. Um, I've been in Singapore for on and off the last 23 years, um, having worked a little bit in Japan and a little bit in India during that time. But Singapore is my home. Uh, I love financial services. I love being in Singapore. I love everything about Singapore. And um, this is where I want to spend time that are useful for, um, for people to enhance their financial security and, and financial well-being. Um, I am uh, 49 years old, married, two kids, um, permanent resident in Singapore, which means my boys are going to be doing national service. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're very excited about that. Um, but that's me, yeah, in a nutshell. Okay, great. Yeah, so once again, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. So our first question is, as you've had quite an extensive career in, in the insurance industry, what was it that made you decide to want to start your own insurance company, Sing Life? Well, I've always loved building things, right? I've always liked, um, you know, playing with Lego and uh, uh, making stuff. And I've always thought that I could build something that is cool. Um, so as a, over the course of my life, as a, I've always been kind of either consulting or, or building actuarial products and things. And I'd always thought, well, maybe there's an opportunity to do it better than the, the way it had been done. In the insurance industry, we had seen that insurance had always lagged other parts of the financial services ecosystem in terms of the uh, availability of technology in the financial services space. So payments was always very good at at delivering tech, banking was good at delivering tech, but insurance wasn't. And I thought, I'm surely uh, I can actually build a better solution than what is currently existing in the market, which I then went off and did when when we started Singapore Life. Mm-hmm. And what is that that made Sing Life grow so quickly? Well, uh, there's a lot of factors. Uh, I think first off was that we built a technology backbone and infrastructure, which made it incredibly simple for people to get life insurance. We found that uh, it had always been a real pain point for for customers where things had taken a long time, a lot of bulky processes, not so easy. And by making it super digital, we we removed those pain points, and a lot of people liked that. The second thing that was was really really good for SingLife, uh, and SingLife was something new and fresh and exciting. Uh, people liked it. People liked the fact of supporting a new player. And so got um, you know a little bit of advantage by being the new kid on the block, which we we advocated very strongly through the use of our brand, our, our marketing and positioning, um, and and people loved it and it grew very very fast. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Sing Life has had a lot of moments of growth, like very quickly, like acquiring the business portfolio of Zurich Insurance Singapore and and merging with Aviva. What allowed for SingLife to be in such positions of growth? And how do you think other startups can also put themselves in similar positions of growth? Yeah, I think the, the realization came very early that in order to be 
to grow, you have to do everything you possibly can to grow. And it's not about doing small steps. You have to take the biggest possible steps you can. Mm -hmm. uh, so while we grew quite nicely organically from our original positioning, when the opportunity to acquire Zurich came along, we grabbed it with both hands because everything is about scale for a startup. Everything is about getting big as fast as you can because you've got a fixed cost, right? You've got mm -hmm. you know, people to pay. You've got uh, you know, infrastructure to build. You need business to pay for all of the things that you, you're doing that, um, that can give you the scale that you need. And so something like a Zurich, when we got the opportunity, allowed us to scale so much faster. Single life account which was how do we, how do we uh, give people a better return on their cash, also allowed us to scale incredibly quickly. Mm -hmm. So what challenges did you face during the acquisition and merger? Yeah, so as I said, on acquisition and merger challenges, there's always around integrating products and systems and people and technology and culture and, uh, and all of those things uh, and getting alignment around the way forward. These are all you know, things that need to be done when you're bringing two companies together. It's not straightforward. But uh, the benefits of getting it right are very, very high. Mm -hmm. And 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 more on the acquisition and, and merger. How do opportunities like that arise? Like, how does, um, how do you, how did you find out that oh, the Zurich portfolio in Singapore was, you know, uh, ready to be acquired, or how does you, you talks with Aviva about mergers begin? St like stuff like that. Yeah, like I said before, uh, scale is everything, right? So for a startup company or a growing company, the quicker and you can get big. The, the better. Uh, so in both cases of Zurich and the Aviva, these were uh, companies that were, you know, changing their global strategies uh, and uh, the, the, the businesses that were available in Singapore were looking for you know, new ways to, to, to operate in the market. And so the discussions that we had with these companies led to the ability for us to either acquire or merge based on them being available for such discussions at the time. So it's not necessarily a, 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 you know, you go out and hunt for these things. Sometimes they just become available and you take advantage of the opportunity when they arise. Mm -hmm. um, these things are very opportunistic. Um, that said, I know for a lot, of, a lot of other startup companies that have built cool tech, uh, they've realized that um, – in order to grow, they have to scale as fast as they can, and they've been encouraged by their shareholders to to acquire or be acquired as fast as they possibly can, so that the business can scale. Everything mm -hmm. is always around growing as fast as you can. Yeah. Okay. So moving on to like more recent. So you recently started a new, uh, two new companies, right? I believe Chocolate Finance and Chocolate Ventures. So what are, what is the goal and objective of these two companies and why start up a new company? Yeah, so chocolate finance is the core of what I do now. And this stems from something that I started with SingLife, which was this idea that people need a better return on their cash. Uh, we know that everybody has got money sitting in a bank account somewhere earning very low returns. Uh, and surely we can do better for customers by giving them access to um, you know, a more rewarding or potentially more rewarding uh, solutions for cash. So what Chocolate Finance does is it does one thing, really. It, it targets to give you a 4.5% return on your first $20,000 of, of saved money and up to 3.5% above that, right? So it's an alternative uh, way to, to deal with your spare cash. We're competing directly with fixed deposits at banks, 
because we believe that we can give a, a, a better return uh, using an asset management infrastructure rather than a, than a banking infrastructure. Uh, that's what chocolate finance does. Why do we call it chocolate finance? Well, uh, everybody loves chocolate. Chocolate mm-hmm. makes you happy. And we mm-hmm. want you to be happy about your money. Fair enough. That was actually going to be our <laughs> next question. Why, why choose chocolate? <laughs> yeah, that's it, right? So, and, and from a branding perspective, you know, brands are important things. So when we did mm-hmm. Sing Life, we relied on, on safety brands. So Singapore, Sing Life, these were safety icons, right? Singapore is the, is the best place in the world for financial services. So to rely or, or, or hang your brand on Singapore was a great way to position. When we did our original Sing Life logos, we took lions and black and red lettering to make it look established and, and old and, and stable. Those, that, the, a lot goes into the brand. But actually what we've realized since is that most people uh, engage at an emotional level before they engage at a, at a practical one, right? Um, if you can engage with somebody emotionally, uh, you can form a deeper and longer and more positive relationship than you can from just providing a, a pure product type of solution. And so we, with chocolate, the idea was to, how can we make people happy about their finances? How can we give you a good feeling? And so all of our branding and positioning has been around that, which has worked incredibly well for us. Mm-hmm. So just just quickly, so chocolate finance, it's it's not like a digital bank. It's, it's, a, di- it's a different structure. Correct. So it's, it's an actually an underlying is an asset management company. Mm-hmm. But what it does is it provides an alternative cash like solution, which yeah. kind of does more or less what a bank account does, but it's actually an asset management company. Okay. Okay. So is there okay. like a specific reason why you chose to go under that, um, you know, through that structure rather than just becoming like a banking platform? Yeah, well, banks are banks and banks are, are uh, they do, they deliver product in certain ways. Banks take deposits and lend money. Mm-hmm. Um, banks have got a couple of uh, difficulties. So when you put your money with a bank, there's only a few things that a bank can actually do with that money. They yeah. can either lend it under a mortgage or they can put it in overnight rates or they can lend it for a bit of credit or they can put a little bit of a risk-free type of assets behind mm-hmm. that, which means that banks generally aren't able to give you great returns on your deposits, right? And that's why bank rates are lower than what you get in other in other forms of investment or, or, or solutions. Yeah. Uh, what we are trying to do is to create an, a structure whereby we can generate or use a, a larger um, base of assets on a more on a more appropriate um, duration to generate returns which are attractive to customers in dealing with their their excess cash. Mm-hmm. And that's why we mm-hmm. use that infrastructure. Um, you know, the Banks were designed hundreds and hundreds of years ago to deliver certain things. In today's market, there are different solutions that fit the similar needs. So, uh, you know, you can you can save for your short-term liquidity needs in insurance policies, as we should with with, with Sing Life. You can do it with a bank, or you can now do it with an asset management company like Chocolate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So the next question is more back on Sing Life. So. I know that there was a lot of hardships and things that you went through when founding and building Single Life. So what are some of the lessons you learned that you used in growing chocolate finance? Uh, the most important thing always in building a business is that you have to have a, a, a purpose or, a, or a, a reason for being there that is bigger than just building something, right? You have to have a reason. 
in Singing Life's case, it was we thought that the insurance industry was outdated from a technology perspective. And we wanted to align the culture of our firm around being a better technological platform for insurance. And then having that culture in place gets everybody who's uh, involved in that business from a staff or an or a employee perspective aligned around what it is you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Most of the problems that come in companies is when the staff don't actually agree with the direction of the company. The best companies are built when everybody is so passionate about what they're trying to do the the outcome of what you're trying to build is more important than the salary that you earn or the amount of time that you take on holiday or, or other things, right? Everybody is just aligned and passionate about the vision of what you're trying to do. We had that in the in the early days of single life, and we have that again in in chocolate. Uh, it's in the delivery of the chocolate propositions. Um, uh, so the most important thing is in my learnings on all of these things is to build a culture around the uh, the purpose that you're trying to fulfill. And in our case, it's how do we give people a better return on their cash? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so on that note of um, employees, so when hiring employees, how important is education to you? Um, I generally find that the education is less important than uh, hunger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't care if someone went to Princeton or or some other university or have no university education. If, if, if someone comes and wants to build, I mean, some of the best developers I've ever worked with never studied technology. Yeah? They studied something else and then found their passion for coding much later or, or changed degrees later on. But the, the best people are the people that have a shiny, sparkly hunger in, and passion in their eyes to do something important or to do something cool mm-hmm. uh, and, and to be a part of something that is that is greater than themselves and can contribute. People that are inquisitive and energetic and uh, eager to learn, these in my mind are actually much, much, much more important than which university you went to. And like, how do you find these out from your employees, like through their story or their Whatever it is, how did you find these passionate and hungry employees? Yeah, most of it is through networks, right? So it's people that you work with before, uh, or people that um, people that your people have worked with before, uh, and sometimes it's kind of talking to people through when you meet them and you say when you talk about if I talk about chocolate and and say these are the things, this is our ambition for what we want to do, and someone mm-hmm. goes, yeah, that sounds great, um, blah blah blah. You, you kind of immediately say, well, this guy is just really looking for a job. He's not really looking to change the world, right? Yeah. But if someone, you, you're telling the position and you can see the guy's automatically excited about it and he thinks that, oh, man, this is fantastic. I wish I could help with this journey and I totally believe in the end outcome and the story. You can immediately start to see that this guy is is hungry for what it is. It's not just looking for a job. He's looking for more than a job. He's looking for a reason to work, which is not just about money and you know paying for your the time that you're not working it's about actually feeling proud and excited about the job you're about to do uh, and that's what makes for brilliant employees yeah so um how would you like show that because like you know if someone if someone's like trying to apply for a job you know they they send you the resume and like that doesn't tell you about you know their passion so much but like what because like some people don't have the opportunity to network or like meet you in person and be able to show this passion how else would they like 
show that oh yeah they're ready they they really want this job not just for like their own reasons but to make like some change in the world how would they show that through like a resume or like something like that yeah so i think a lot of a lot of times um, you know networking is there you know the best people tend to know a lot of people best mm-hmm. people tend to know a lot about themselves about what they like what they don't like best people have actually had a couple of different jobs sometimes yeah. um uh so resumes are, are one thing but uh, the most important resume anybody can have is their linkedin profile mm-hmm. um linkedin says a whole lot about about a person about his engagement with the world his hunger for knowledge uh generally it's good to start building your linkedin profiles as quickly and as early as possible connect where with as many relevant people as you possibly can post things and learn about what people are doing so if i get a resume and 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 the guy's got like two linkedin connections and he's never commented on anybody else's post ever mm-hmm. uh i get a message that says this guy is a uh, is is not an is not hungry for for knowledge or for or or you know it leaves a it leaves a less well um what's the right word for it a less hungry piece of information mm-hmm. I, I take a lot of information about those kinds of uh, engagements mm-hmm. okay so one our concluding question that we ask everyone that that comes on the podcast is what advice would you give to young people who are interested in pursuing a career in business or starting their own company like you did uh, i think if the if it's starting your own company as a young person i'd say you're probably better off getting a job and learning some stuff first i've seen too many guys mm-hmm. start companies when they don't actually know or have not yet experienced what origin what exists already right mm-hmm, yeah um mm-hmm. i'm i'm saying not this is not just like you know start your own company which is a you know you know if make something and sell it again if you want to do something which is astronomical or game changing or or you know changing the world which is the the, the most successful businesses take a real problem and solve it and scale it right mm-hmm. you have to know what the problem is properly and the best way to know what the problem is is to actually work in the industry first and figure out where those problems are mm-hmm. and then take a view on it and say these problems are so substantial that we should be able to build something better but if you haven't experienced it or working in a in a in a job it's very difficult for you to articulate and and actually execute on a on a new business idea which is designed to compete with these older solutions yeah at scale yeah. if it's just about you know buying something from someone and selling it to someone else at a higher price okay that's you know anybody you know that's that's a business right and and it can be done if you can find goods and services which are cheaper that you can find a market to sell them to uh in uh, in uh, at a higher price and uh, create a market of people absolutely that's also that's also a way to do it but in some places um you the world is a competitive place right so you have to know where does your new business compete with others the other thing i recommend to a lot of people is um in today's age it's actually okay to have a side hustle um most companies would really frown on this uh you know people say oh, you know i work for abc company but actually the most the best people i've ever worked with have actually in their spare time and on weekends and whatever else done something else in their side hustle which is either do some coding or do some design work or do some uh, uh creative this or that 
to improve their skills, earn a couple of extra bucks, um, and do something. But what generally happens with, with the side hustle is you get to learn stuff, right? So the nice thing about having a job and a side hustle is that you can be a, a, a paid employee and be entrepreneurial at the same time. And, just, yeah. and, and your entrepreneurial side hustle is not going to ruin you if it doesn't work because you've already got a job. Mm-hmm. 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 And my view as an employer is that people that have side hustles are actually better employees because they are better able to manage their time, uh, more hungry, all of those things. It's all good. And so just a question out of curiosity, is there any skills that you think we should start working on as students? Um, I, I think it's good to get a rudimentary understanding of coding, uh, get a rudimentary understanding of um, design, if you can. Um, customer experience is good. Um, uh, if you think about it, it depends on what you want to do, right? So if, you're a, if you want to be in engineering, uh, then it's about how things are built and, and generate that curiosity. If it's in financial services, it's around uh, trying to experiment with and compare as many different solutions as you possibly can to to see that stuff. Uh, but I think you know whatever you can do to broaden your skill set is valuable. Uh, and mm-hmm. you know even if it's build an app that you know plays games on your telephone. That's a side hustle, which is useful because you're learning how to program in Flutter or, or mechanics, build databases, think about how relationships work, do your researches on on um, how does core infrastructure work, What is understand what is a, a cloud-based system versus a, a traditional types of data structures. Um, these things are very, very valuable over time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I mean, that, that was our final question. And uh, I think our meeting's almost up. We've got a minute left. But that that was that was really that was really fun. Thank you so much for for coming onto the podcast, doing the episode. Yeah. No worries. I hope you guys are fun, and uh, looking forward to uh, challenging you guys in the future. And uh, I hope your podcast series is a success. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Cheers, guys. Take it yep. easy. Have a good day. Have a Bye-bye. good day. Bye.